All right, let's keep it rolling on FT Live with our next guest joining us for the first time on this show. I have spent many, many hours doing broadcast work with him in the past. MLB too many. Jonathan Mayo joining us. Sure, some would say too many, especially when we are doing like every pick of the draft at some point after we get through round one and some of the comp picks. And, and Jonathan's got an, a new book out that we would like to highlight too. Give him a follow on Twitter. We posted everything on our Twitter just now, um, but it's called Smart, Wrong, and Lucky. Jonathan, great to have you on. Before we get to the prospect combo, and thanks for sticking with us, we were having fun with Kyle Gibson. Give us the light on, on the book because the guy – what? Well, oh, don't show that one. No, no, no. Show I'm going to show it because I want to know. That's the competition. No, we summer. have a book war. That's no, there's, there is more than enough room for, yes. for me and Kratzy on the bookshelf. <laughs> We're having a book war here there between Kratzy and no, John there's no, there's no war. There's no war. It's all it's all love among all of us. We won't mention that Kratzy's kicking my ass on Amazon uh, baseball book rankings, but, uh, you know. It's, it's all right. You, ki- you kicked my ass on all the prospect articles when I was playing. So. <laughs> I don't remember mentioning you. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. No. So, uh, you know, I spend a lot of my time, Scott, as you know, talking to scouts uh, on a regular basis and they're great storytellers and they have phenomenal stories. They love telling stories about guys that they missed on, you know, but they also will tell stories. Sometimes their colleagues stories about, the guys that they got in the late rounds who then went on to become much better than even they anticipated. And that's what, that's what this book is. It's all guys who, you know, have gone on, some are still playing, um, you know, went on to become superstars, all-stars, MVPs, future hall of famers, but started out much more humbly as later round picks and somewhere some scout or collection of scouts saw something in them to give them that first opportunity that they then of course ran with. Which one's your favorite story? Which, which who's or whose story is your favorite story? Whether that's, it you know, ended well or not. It's like asking me who my favorite kid is, but um, there, you always have a favorite. I do, but I can't say that publicly. My daughter <laughs> might be listening. Um, but uh, uh, you know, I think there there are some great stories in here. The one that probably stands out the most as being sort of the craziest is probably Lorenzo Cain, uh, mostly because. He had never played an inning of baseball before his sophomore year of high school. Um, it, it sounds like a, a Disney movie, but he got cut from his basketball team, uh, which I don't totally understand. It wasn't a large school, and anyone who watched Lorenzo Cain scale fences, he had to have some sort of role on a basketball team. But um, it, it was baseball's gain because he needed something to do. So he went and played baseball. They had eight guys on their JV team. He made it nine so they could play JV. His first practice, he went out to Shag Flies and put the glove on the wrong hand because he had never played before. And like like a lot of kids, you know, the first time they ever play, you think, oh, it's my dominant hand. So once he figured that out, it was, it was okay. Got drafted two years later as a draft and a follow by the Brewers. So they sent him off to junior college. Struggled so badly in junior college, they almost benched him. But by the end of the year, he was the best player in the conference. And the Brewers were able to sign him for about $95,000. And then he went up and won MVP honors in uh, the rookie-level Arizona League and was off and running from there. But uh, went from never having been on a baseball field to you know becoming a top prospect and then obviously going on and winning a World Series with Kansas City, uh, some Gold Glove Awards, you know, just finished up a, a really, really good career. So that that's probably the story that stands out as maybe the the craziest one from 
how he started to how he finished. Oh, you forgot one accolade for Lorenzo Cain there, Jonathan. Uh, foul territory host also. So next time you when you write your book, you might have to put an edit in there, redact it, and say, hey, foul territory. I'm going to go buy possible. all the copies and write it in now. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> hey, can we get a copy? I mean, because I got a Kratz. I'll I got. We got Jeff Fletcher. Dude, I don't buy stuff. Yes, Jeff Fletcher. Did. I mean, look, look yes. at all these. No, I, I, got, I, I, bought, I need a Jonathan Mayo. I bought yeah. that. I bought both of these for the record. Yes, I bought both of these with but my you didn't own buy my personal book? money. Um, uh-huh. No, See? I have it coming. <laughs> It'll be on the desk. So, Jonathan, I want you to inscribe one to Kratz and say you never made any list, Kratz. Your story sucks. <laughs> I love you, Jonathan Mayo. I can do okay. that. That I can do that. I have, I have here, you know. I have my copy. I have a copy right here. I'll uh, I'll send it your way. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I, I love I love baseball books. I love Don't send it to us. We're getting one on Amazon. It'll be here in two days. Okay. All right. All right. That's fine. That's fine. We'll pay. We'll happily. Well, Scott will happily pay for it. I still want my free one. Uh, let's get into prospects, Jonathan, because that's kind of more of what you're known for. Uh, do I need to name change my kid's name to Jackson to make a prospect? Yes. List or what? Yes. The short answer is yes. Because <laughs> one and two are Jackson, and then nine is Jackson Merrill from San Diego. So if you Want to be in the top ten? You need to be named Jackson. Why is that right. such a hot name? I, I, you know, I don't know. If we had two more, then we'd have the Jackson Five, and mm. so unfortunately, we couldn't do that. But um, <laughs> I am a dad, so I come full with dad jokes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know why it's such a, a popular name. To to be honest with you, but uh, the the two at the very top, uh, Holiday and Trio. I mean, Jackson Merrill is a very talented player. To all three of them, obviously, are in our top ten, but. Uh, what Holiday and Churio have done at such a young age, at such advanced levels. I mean, we saw, you know, Jackson Holiday just got drafted a year ago as a teenager and uh, is raking in double A. Uh, I, I think you could probably keep pushing them up if you needed to, but they don't need to, so they can pump the brakes a little bit. But uh, we're, we're talking about a kid who might be banging down the big league door at age 20 next year. Uh, so uh, there are expectations with the number one overall pick. Uh, but he he has far exceeded them, which is which is hard to do. Uh, and he's one of one of the best, I think, prospects. We just did a story. We kind of refresh it every time there's a new number one prospect, ranking the all time number one prospects, and we put him in at number five. So, and that has a lot to do with hype and and how they perform when they become number one. But uh, for a guy to have the hype as a as a number one pick and then to be better than that, you don't see that too often. Wait, who are the top? Who are ahead of him? Harper Trout. Uh, you're gonna make me have to look up Strasburg. the story. I don't have it committed to memory. Mark Pryor. I, Strasburg may have graduated before we we got him to number one because um, okay. he was drafted and then he was in the big leagues. Um, so well, I mean, we had Buxton up there. I don't know if he made the top five just because he was the number one prospect for a really long time. So it has one of the hardest things to do when you do that is not to have hindsight in terms of like, well, what's happened to him in the big leagues. You know, it's more like what what are you thinking about him at you know at the time that you ranked him number one? Uh, you know, so like Joe Maurer's gone on, you know, went on to have this unbelievable career, and he was our very first number one prospect. But th- there wasn't as much hype. I mean, there wasn't as much hype around prospects back in two thousand and four. But uh, it wasn't the same kind of hype that there was around someone like even a guy like Buxton or Gunnar Henderson a year ago uh, or Jackson or Jackson Holiday now. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. You got me traded by putting him number one. Appreciate it. <laughs> got him traded. Got me traded. Because they Joe ranked Bauer him number one in. prospect, and the Twins are like, yeah, we got the number one prospect catcher. See you. Beat it. Yeah, sure. It was my <laughs> thanks, ranking. Thanks, Jonathan. It was, it was my that. ranking that did that. <laughs> 
He's got that kind of power. Okay, so yeah. with the power that you have, who are you calling up first? Jackson Holiday to Baltimore or Jackson Churio to the Brewers? Churio, I just looked up. So he's about 100 days younger than Holiday is. It's crazy to have these two doing so well at a high level. I know Holiday really hasn't had like any slumping. Jackson Churio has, but yeah. he's also on a contending team in the Brewers prospects. I mean, do you remember what, like two, three years ago, they were towards the bottom of the team rankings and look at them now too. Yeah. They've got a really good farm system now with guys who are really performing well. Some of that might just depend on opportunity, you know, where there's room, you know, they have young teams and, and, you know, stacked at their position. So some of that may just be where there is a need. If I were to guess, I'm going to guess that Jackson Holiday beats Jackson Churio to the big leagues, but it may not be by much. And I, I don't, if I don't sound confident in that, it's because I'm not really sure. I, I really just think it's going to depend on where the opportunity is. Cause you don't bring one of those guys up and not have them play every single day. Uh, you know, so it's going to just be a question of how they carve out a, an opening so they can be in that, in that lineup each and every day. Can Jackson Churio play though right now? Like if he was called up right now and they were just like, screw it because Hey, the Brewers, it's more of an obvious concern for them. Like Baltimore needs starting pitching. The Brewers need more offense, which has been the case for a while. Like, I, I've seen some some articles like, hey, should the Orioles call up Jackson Holiday this year for their playoff push? I'm like, what about Jackson Churio for a team that needs more offense than Baltimore does? I think that Jackson Churio might struggle more out of the gate. So if you're looking for someone right now, I would probably, in this hypothetical that I don't think will happen in either scenario, I think Jackson Holiday would hold his own more. He's got a more advanced approach at the plate. Uh, I think Jackson Trier might be exposed a little bit. Eventually, he would make adjustments, which is what he's done, you know, with his very rapid ascent to to the upper levels of the minors. But I think right out of the gate, there's a little more swing and miss. Uh, he's gotten better this year than a year ago. Uh, but you know, you look at Jackson Holiday, and he he doesn't strike out a lot. He draws walks. He works counts, but he doesn't miss pitches that he's supposed to. His swing decisions are unbelievable. So I, I think he'd be more likely to, if not hit the ground running, then hold his own. Uh, I think both of them could help out in other ways. You know, both run well, uh, both defend well. So they, there could be contributions there. But it might be a little bit of a tall task to ask Jackson Trier, like out of the gate, hey, we want to put you in a lineup and have you produce every day while we're going to the playoffs, that might be a little too tall of an order. All right, we just got done with the trade deadline two weeks ago. Who in your top 10 would you legitimately have traded straight up for Shohei Otani? None of them. Not one of them. Where? Do, how far down the list do you have to go? And, and, and in this so, situation... Because it, because he's a, because a, he's a two-month rental, right? Yes, yes, you know, yes. So it's And that's the only reason. Now... I think that you'd have to go. There isn't like a magic number on the top 100 that yeah. you would go. I think it would depend on the situation and the talent. I think there are scenarios. You know, the Orioles have a really stacked farm system with six top 100 guys. Would I have traded one or maybe even two top 100 guys to get Shohei Otani for two months? Uh, yeah, I, I probably would have done that, especially because they have some depth. You know, uh, at certain positions up the middle uh, and in the outfield, you could trade some of those guys and not even feel the hurt. You know, there are some farm systems you trade away one or two of those guys and that's it. 
right? And you got nothing left. But I think that there were scenarios where you could have done that uh, had the Angels been interested in, in listening. But I don't think there's anybody in the top 10 of the teams competing that I would have said, yes, you know, I would trade that guy to, to help me make it a little bit further. You know, I'm looking, there aren't that many teams, you know, the, the Orioles, maybe the Padres could have made a trade, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't trade Ethan Salas or Jackson Merrill uh, for Shohei Otani right now. Mayo, uh, Jonathan, I'll, I'll make a case here. Like Evan Carter, um, without even thinking too much about what his potential is, I think just more situational, in my opinion, on Kratzy's question. Like Texas has had this all-in attitude the entire season. They could get Shohei Otani for a team that's never won a World Series. I think you say, hey, screw it. If it's going to cost us one prospect, even though he's a top 10 guy, I, I don't know if... I think they actually would be more likely to do it than most because I think this has just as much to do with the GM. Like Chris Young is is not looking at prospects the way that some teams hug, squeeze so tight every guy that's ranked really high up and say, no matter what, we are more about our future and having a guy that we can control his cost and has the potential to be really good than actually looking straight ahead and being like, wait, this might be the year we win a World Series for the first time in our franchise history. I think no, Texas I th- has done it right. I think that's a fair point. And yeah, they are. I mean, listen, AJ Preller in San Diego is, has kind of gone back and forth in terms of love and hate Jerry DePoto, you know, in, in Seattle. So guys have done it when they see that window and I could see the Rangers having been in that situation and, and maybe, maybe they would have, uh, you know, they managed to get Max Scherzer, uh, you know, and traded, uh, you know, traded a, a top 100 guy away, but it wasn't Evan Carter. Um, and then they have shirt, you know, and they have Scherzer for longer. So in the end, that may have been a better fit. Uh, we don't know how far down the, the road they may have gone. Would the Angels have even traded Shohei Otani to a team within their division? I, I don't, you know, I don't know the answers to that. You know? And I think it may have also been different if it were a team that perceived itself to have a chance at signing Shohei Otani beyond this year. Because then you have two months to sort of say, see, this is it's pretty cool over here. We win a lot. You know, the Dodgers might have been willing to 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 shed some of their top prospects more so than some of these other teams where, you know, Shohei Otani's not going to sign with the Baltimore Orioles long term. That's just not going to happen and the Orioles and Michael Elias likely know that. But he could sign with the Dodgers and if the Dodgers could have gotten 2 months of Shohei Otani to say you can stay sort of in town, we win a lot here. It's pretty cool. Come join us. Uh you know, that would have given him a little more runway to the offseason and signing that long-term deal, and then maybe that's worth a little bit more. Yep, that's fair. Okay, so I want to ask you about the team rankings because I know you just came out with the fresh top 100, but on the team side, which I love to look at, to just get a gauge of where ball clubs are at in terms of how they're developing talent, and also it helps you to project forward when you're thinking about which teams are going to be good because we know, I mean, those guys get called up throughout a season, and I don't think that always gets weighed in for some prognosticators. So... On the other end of the spectrum, who are some of the lowest ranked farm systems? And we're touching on the Angels. There was a lot of controversy or at least debate about if they should have traded Otani or not. And some people did argue that they didn't have much in their farm system anyway, so screw it. I still differ there where I'm like, you're still probably setting yourself back another year or two when you do get rid of like five, six guys, even if they're not ranked as high in other spots. So what do you think about some of the bottom teams on that list? Yeah, I mean it's it's really hard to continually win and have a strong farm system at the at the same time. Um, some some teams do it. 
you know, the Dodgers, uh, because they have the, the large pocketbooks, uh, can do it. Uh, you know, the Rays have managed to, to do it year after year. Uh, I think the Brewers are kind of on that cusp right now, but the, they, as you've pointed out, this is, you know, newer that their farm system is that strong. So, you know, you look at the bottom of the list and you have the Astros and the Braves, and those are teams that have won a lot. You know, the Braves built up their farm system. They were our number one farm system a while ago, and they've parlayed that into winning. Now, what some of these teams have been able to do, uh, even though their farm systems aren't strong, is, is use what they do have. You know, the Astros, I think, were 27th on our preseason list. They still managed to make a trade for Justin Verlander. You know, they traded what they had at the top, uh, you know, in Drew, in Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford. Uh, and Drew Gilbert was their their one top 100 guy to to make the trade that they needed. The Braves keep making you know maybe they're more incremental changes in terms of you know deadline trades, but they're willing to to do it, and that's why it's you know taking them longer to kind of to to rebuild. The Angels, you know, they've been at the bottom, but they also get guys to the big leagues really really quickly uh, over the last few years. Zach Nato last year was was their first round pick. And he's been in the big leagues. Nolan Shanuel, who's their first round pick this year, is already in double A and raking. So just because they don't have a super deep farm system doesn't mean that they don't get guys to, you know, to the big leagues. But the, you know, those systems on the bottom have struggled a little bit to either replenish or, 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 or rebuild, you know, the, the coffer, so to speak. Get around. I love it's like, it. All right, I want cool. teams that, Let's try them out in the show. We've talked about it, though. I love teams that go for it. I love teams that advance their guys, and I, I want them to do well. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, for teams like the I, Angels, I, it hasn't worked out. Yeah, right. I think it it comes with with risk. I'm all for getting guys. Zach Nato was ready for the big leagues. Like the way he swung the bat, his contact, all those things. They knew he could do a lot of things. Uh, you know, Victor Medeiros got rushed to the big leagues this year. He was not ready for for the big leagues. Major league stuff, yes. Command, no. You know, so I think some of the time with the Angels, it it's worked. You know, Chase Silseth made a, a nice contribution last year. He made up really, really quickly. He's been up again this year. I think he'll be just fine. You have to worry though. I think there's a difference between aggressively pushing and rushing guys to the big leagues. And sometimes if you rush somebody from a developmental standpoint, it can set them back. Uh, you have to kind of understand what the players makeup is that if they get up and fail, because plenty of guys have failed, they use it all the time. Mike Trout was not good. His first time up in the big leagues, went back to the minors the next year, came back up and was the Mike Trout. We, we we've seen over the, over the last decade, but you need to know something about the player in your system, whether or not he can handle that kind of adversity on that stage uh, before you run them up to the big leagues. Yeah, it's a great combo because obviously they're kind of pushing their chips in. And also Perry Manation's coming from the Braves and the Braves do that a lot. And yeah, sometimes they call a guy up, then he goes back down for a while. Like Von Grissom's been down most of the year. Now he's back up. So great stuff. Hey, Jonathan, great to have you on here for the first time. Thank you. Good to catch up with you for, you know, 20 minutes instead of um, 10 hours doing a, a draft day, day two, two of show. the draft, man. It's a exactly. slog. Yes. Congrats on the book. We'll have it on the desk in the next two days. Boom, there it is. Smart, wrong, and lucky. The origin stories of baseball's unexpected stars by Jonathan and with a forward by Dave Dombrowski. Great to have you on. Appreciate you, man. Thanks, guys. Thank you.